0: So we're still in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, we're going through, let's see here if this works, I know not doing it right probably, so uh, if you guys could go to the passage up there from behind there, okay, so those are the verses we're going to look at, do I have to actually push something here or what is it that I got to do, let's see, why doesn't this work for me, oh, oh I see, oh okay. Perfect. Alright, so um, I just kind of set this up for you. These are our main verses we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 4 from 11 to 16. Then I'm going to run through a couple verses and you'll see I have them. I'll, I'll move this slide in a minute back. Uh, so what I'd like for you to do is just when, when I mention it, hopefully you can go and look at it. Uh, a couple, uh, these are supporting verses or references to what I'm going to talk about. Amen. So you see First Thessalonians 2.13 first corinthians two four matthew fifteen nineteen jeremiah seventeen nine and Romans 8, ten eight through ten so i 'm not going to put the verses up there. I want you guys to look it up in your Bibles when we get there okay so my i got uh, I got a purpose on that i 'm doing it on purpose I want us to be experts of being able to find our in our Bibles where we need to go amen and then hopefully you can let your fingers do the walking, not just here today but during the week when you study your Bible. Amen? So let's read this, if you don't mind standing with me, uh, from uh, verse 12. I I put 11. Um, Let's see. Let me double check. Because I have something different on my... So Hebrews 4. And then we'll start at 12. I think I put 11 up there, but I didn't mean that. So we're going to go back there. So... I'll get it together here at some point today. Alright, here we go. So, i are going to start at verse 12. I have that wrong up there. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, so, two main things uh, to consider. Uh, the writer of the Hebrew book, which I think is the Apostle Paul. It doesn't really matter. It's actually the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's going to talk about God's Word first. Then he's going to talk about Jesus as our great high priest. So two main things that we're going to look at today. The Word of God and then Jesus' role as our great high priest. Okay. Uh, remember, this is a people, the Hebrew Christians, who were struggling and who were being uh, persecuted and suffering. And they were contemplating quitting. They were contemplating uh, going backwards, going back to the old covenant, going back to the, the rituals, the ceremonies, the temple, the, all, all that stuff from, with, from where they came. What they don't know at this time in history is that they're not even going to have a temple. The temple would be destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So where are they going to go back to? But their Hebrew writer is telling them, don't look back, look forward. And the Hebrew writer is trying to explain to us how Jesus is superior to anything and everything that we could possibly imagine, whether in the past, in the present, in the future, he's everything. So he points that out, and that's what we're doing and looking at each and every one of these little sections. So verse 12 of Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and of uh, marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then he goes into another section. Since then we have a great high priest who passed Through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, or we could easily use the word profession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's pray for the sermon. Father, God bless this day. We pray this time your word. And we just thank you, Father, because we don't have to do this on our own. You, You promised to send us the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit who would show us and teach us all things. And that's what we ask for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, as I mentioned a minute ago, the, the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about God's Word first. So, let's look at that. God's Word, mentioned here briefly, but nonetheless, saying it's living and active. The, the idea of it being living is that because Jesus is alive, amen, but that it has a, it is a force in our, in our lives when heard. It brings life. God's word brings life to those that believe. And it says it's active. The word here in the Greek for active is energy. It has, it has, it's active. It's powerful. It's energizes. So we see it's living and it energizes. You ever had an energy drink? Are you one of those that will go get a Red Bull Maybe, I don't know. I'm more of a coffee drinker, and that's kind of what peps me up a little bit. Especially in the morning where I feel like a zombie. Well, sometimes in our lives, that's what we feel like. And you know what we need? We need a strong dose of the Word of God. Okay? So it tells us that it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to division of the soul and the st- Uh, and of spirit of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, now Paul, understanding the word, in another place in 1 Thessalonians, and that was one of the verses that I had up here, if we go to it, 2.13, he says this, and we also thank God constantly for this. So, he's thankful to this congregation in Thessalonica. That when you receive the Word of God, which gives us a little bit of hint of what we're supposed to do when we hear God's Word. What is it that we're supposed to do? Receive it. Embrace it. Accept it. Believe it. Right? I could use all kinds of synonyms to describe what we're supposed to do with God's Word. We're to not just be hearers of it, but we're to be doers of it. Right? And then he says, so I'm thankful and I thank God constantly in verse uh, 13 of uh, 1 Corinthians 2. That when you receive the word of God, he's talking about the word of God received, right? That uh, which you heard from us, so somebody's preaching. Hello, hi, I am your preacher today, amen. Someone's preaching as we are obedient to what God's asked us to do with his word, to share it, right? To make disciples. And then he says, which you heard from us, you accepted it, and here's the key. We don't accept God's word, as mentioned here, not as the word of men. When we're opening God's word, when we're looking at these verses, these are not the words of men. They're not my words. I'm simply parroting words. I am repeating someone else's words. I'm a messenger, but it's not my message. It's someone else's message. And we learn that and we know that. I mean, it's accepted on that principle, right? Not the word of men, but here's, again, at the end of, uh, of this verse 13 of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2 says, but as what it really is. Oh, what is God's word? was it really? It says right here, the word of God. The Bible is the Word of God that God's given us. It's an amazing uh, story, and if you ever go online or something, you want to do a little bit more research, find out how many authors there were that put it together uh, over how many centuries. And I know that information, but I want you to do the homework. And it's interesting that they didn't even live in the same time frame, in the same era, and yet all of them agree. So it proves that they're not really the authors, even though they're written by men, through men's hands, like Paul's letters, or Moses'. But they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And of course they're going to be consistent. Of course they're going to be uh, uh, synchronized and in harmony, because they're coming from one source, the Holy Spirit, from God Himself. So the words that we preach, we're to receive it, and we're to understand, they're not the words of men, they're the words of God. And it goes on to say, which is at work in you, believers'. The word, the word of God is at work in believers in our hearts and in our lives. It's at what? It's at work. It works. God's word works in two senses: in that it functions, it's functional, and that it's active and it's it's working. We should be able to say, "Hey, every day, acknowledge maybe at the end of the day, we able to say, you know, God was working in my life today through my understanding of His word." of His revelation. Do we ever say that? You know, God is working in my life. There's stuff going on in my heart. There's stuff going on. We're having, God and I are having an encounter through His Word. So these are no... So let, me, let me preface this, so that you know where your pastor stands. God's Word is no ordinary Word from man, but the very Word of God. That's our position when it comes to God's Word. And as your teacher and pastor... That has been and always has been my only intention is for you to see and hear God's word. We try to break it apart. We try to look at every angle and then I put it back together, hopefully, God's help. And then you take it out of here and you have to deal with what God's going to say or do in your life based on his word. Paul also said this about the word of God in 1 Corinthians 2.4. He says, and my speech... so." Paul, as he gave his sermons. And in my message, we're not in plausible words of wisdom. So these, this, isn't, this message, and, and, and it's pretty obvious, I, I think, with me, and I want it to be, I don't claim to have some great words of wisdom. I dig, and I search, and I try to find examples, and I try to explain, but that's not, my efforts aren't what counts. It's that when I give you the message, when you hear God's word, then it's God who's demonstrating power with the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. My message uh, and my speech were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So let's, let's, let's kind of settle on a couple things. The purpose of God's word is to have an effect upon your life. The purpose of the Word of God is to have an effect upon you and upon your life. Now, I'll say this too without any reservation. A lot of Christians do not spend enough time in God's Word. Period. Okay? Anybody say amen? We spend a lot of time on our tablets. We spend a lot of time on TV. We spend a lot of time doing a lot of things. I'm just going to say for as... Considering what God's Word is, and how it has an effect on our life, it brings salvation, to say the least, right? It blesses us, it guides us, it brings us hope, wisdom for our lives. But most importantly, it introduces us to Jesus Christ Himself. We can never know anything about Him except through His Word. We can't invent things about Him outside of His Word. He's given us what we need to know. So I would say a lot of Christians do not spend enough time in God's Word. And I'll say this too because I'm a pastor. I would also say that a lot of preachers or pastors do not spend a lot of time in God's Word. So at this point of the message, what about you? Let's personalize it. Considering that it's, what? It's alive and it's active. It gives life and it energizes us. I've always said the church is a gas station. We come here to get gassed up, if you will. To get, what? Fueled up. Not just to stay here, but to leave here and go out there and make a difference in the world. To be a light in a dark world. If, 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 so if you pull up in your car. Uh, uh, I'm going to pick up Michael. If you pull up in your car to a gas station. And you're, and you're gassing it up. And you're there for. Well, how long does it take? Ten minutes maybe. Five minutes. I don't know. Depending on the size of your trunk. And then you just sit there. And you're gassing it. And then you put it up there. And you just hang out at your car. You know, You're there for hours. Hanging out at the gas station. What good is the gas in your car if you're just going to stay at the gas station? Right? Sometimes we equate being a church mouse as something spiritual. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get into trouble. The work of the Lord and being energized and learning is to be done here and discipling is to be done here. But then we're to go out. We're to, we're to go out into the world. And too often the church is like a country club. We just want to come and hang out. But then we go out and do nothing. Oh my goodness. I said it. I mean it. I mean it. And that's not just believers. That's pastors. A lot of people... We want to come in here and what the temptation is, is, is that we look at church as sometimes a place where you clock in with a time card and you clock out and then you look at that and look what I did, which you haven't really done anything because you could come and learn and grow and then we should go out and the work is out there. We should be sharing. We should be serving people, ministering to people. So I like church. I want to be here. I think you guys are cool. Love you. But I really don't want to spend all day with you. Well, you say, well, bastard, that's cruel. No, I mean it in a sense because we need to go out. (laughs) And yet, a lot of people just want, all they want to do is, they, they think spirituality is just being in church all the time. Hearing God's Word. Yeah, that's part of it. But if we don't go out, it meant nothing. We should share, we should live in front of other people. Now, what does God's Word do? It says it it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and and marrow. This is what only God's word can do. So the author of Hebrews uses the analogy of the body to explain how the word of God penetrates. So it would be equal to a sword that penetrates into somebody, literally, into what? Joints and marrow But he will compare the joints and marrow of our physical body to the division of soul and spirit. It's only God's word that's able to penetrate deep into our hearts and expose what's there. That's why he uses a sword as an analogy. God's word is like a sword. If we hear it, it's going to penetrate deep down into our soul, our spirit, deep into our spiritual heart, if you would, instead of our physical heart. And because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts both ways. It cuts coming and going. So God's Word is powerful. And what's the point of the sword penetrating deep into our hearts? To reach our hearts. And to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice that in the verse, right? Go back to, you'll see it there. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He will reveal to you your thoughts that you think are in secret. And your actual intentions that you think are hidden. Wow. Amen. I get it. It happens to me all the time. What's interesting is that the word discerning here of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Greek word, and I was really happy when I found this, for discerning actually means critic. Or the, in Greek it's kritikos. Sounds like Spanish. K-R-I-T-I-K-O-S. It, the word of God penetrates so deep, we can say to discern what? Our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. To criticize us at some level. In this particular case, because they were thinking about going back to the previous life they had. Think about it. What happens mostly today is that there are many critics of God's word. Well, I believe and I think it means, and we'll get into all kinds of arguments, and people will criticize God's word. But in actuality, it's God's word that is the critic of us. It criticizes you, it criticizes me. One of the things that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do would convince us of sin. That's where we get the word we say quite often in Christian circles oh, I feel convicted. That's exactly the job of the Holy Spirit with God's Word. To convict us, to convince us, other versions say. Convince us of what? Of our, our, our greatest need, and that is to be aware of our sin, and then to be aware of a Savior for our sins. We can never go to Christ unless we've been critiqued. oh, you're criticizing me. Well, depending on who it is and how it's done, in this context, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who knows exactly what's going on in your heart, what are your thoughts, and what are your intentions, and He's going to go and live there. So the, the Word of God, we may ask, why is this one of the functions of God's Word? To deal with our hearts. To get down deep and meet us right down where you and I live. God wants our hearts. But he wants them transformed. And so we may ask if God's word is like a sword that penetrates deep. What is he, what's it doing? It's diagnosing the condition of our hearts. It lays open the heart, and accurately discerns or diagnoses our spiritual health. Why do you go for a blood test? Why do you go for a urine sample? Why do they do MRIs? Why are there x-rays and CAT scans? To see what's there. Now, um, I have the privilege of having uh, the credential and the authority to use a um, assessment at my school as a resource specialist, where I uh, get permission from parents to assess children's intelligence. Uh, I use an instrument called a Wyatt. It means Wesler's Intelligent Aptitude test. And what we try to do is figure out grade levels of learning in math, reading, writing, hearing, analyzing uh, information and all kinds of other things. And so we come up with, of course, uh, it's, it's a um, standard score that's universally accepted as a way to measure where a kid is in the United States at their grade level. And you ever heard of the bell curve, right? And so it tells us exactly where the kids' reading levels are and what's the purpose of that. So that from there, we're able to design a program that will help these kids to learn and grow. But you've got to know where you're at. That's what God's Word does. It comes in and it does an analysis of your heart. And it's not an accident that this diagnosis reaches deep. Right? It reaches us with surprising precision, just like a surgeon's scalpel. It goes deep into our hearts. It penetrates into the innermost recesses of our spiritual being. And it exposes us so that we can then react. So the Bible is very clear in 1 John that if we sin, what should we do? Well, we have to be aware of it. That's God's word. Then we can confess Him. And then He's faithful and just to forgive us. But if we never recognize or know or even accept that we're sinful and that we're not pleasing God in the way that we're living, then how in the world are we ever going to change? It's through God's Word, just as through a sword that penetrates. And then God's Word is able to expose our beliefs and our False intentions, and from there we can walk with him in a way that's pleasing to him. I know, no fun, but it saves your life. Here is why: the heart of man, in, in its sinful condition, according to Matthew fifteen nineteen, says, "For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality." Theft, false witness, slander. Those are the words of Jesus. Where do they come from? Where does this stuff come from? You see someone act out in some certain way. You go, a murder, or whether it be an evil thought or an evil deed. What is that? It comes from the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. What? It's deceitful? Unless your heart has been regenerated or transformed by Jesus Christ don't ever tell someone follow your heart no do not follow your heart why because it's deceitful above all things and desperately sick that's the condition of the human heart and the fallen nature since Adam not the condition of the born-again heart the difference but that's what God does what you want to do he wants to expose the condition of our heart so as to lead us to salvation because Romans 10 and you'll see that there at the bottom says this the word is near you because you know in this particular context how close is the word to you right now you're listening to it it's in you so he says the word is in you in your mouth and in your heart, what does it mean? For out of the mouth, right, the word of faith that we proclaim comes from our heart, and then we profess it. So let me read this to you in context. It says, "What shall we say? What, what does it say that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart? That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is." lord well how can i confess that jesus christ is lord well because you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved now why would we have to confess that jesus is lord because he rose from the dead why do we have to believe that he rose from the dead because why, and then we have to ask why did he die Okay, I believe that he rose from the dead, but why did he rise from the dead? Because he died for us at Calvary's cross. He took our sins upon his body, the ones that we rightfully deserve to die for. He died for us in our place. So we're confessing with our mouth what we believe in our hearts because our hearts have been penetrated by God's word. So people ask me all the time, well, how do I become a Christian? You have to listen. And then when God deals with your heart, you respond. Now, one of the responses, is you say, I don't believe it. Okay, good luck to you. Or one of the other responses, I believe it. And then, oh, blessings to you. So the deal here is that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. Everything you do in this life, you heard it from someone and was taught it from someone. And you're doing it. Even learning how to lick a stamp and put it on an envelope. If people still use snail mail. I can't remember the last time I mailed something. Everything in this life we learn. Well what about the things from God's word? He wants us to act out by faith. So. Faith. That was proclaimed to us. That's being proclaimed to you today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. So it's from the heart that we believe. How to get in the heart. If the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Because you heard a sermon. You heard a message. You read it. And then when it got in and penetrated deep into your soul. You reacted by saying yes. By faith to God's truths. So, with the heart one believes and is justified. What does that mean? When we believe, then we become right with God. Not based on what we've done, but what He's done for us. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, wow, what a task. What do we have to do? We have to keep talking about God's Word. Getting down now to the latter part of Hebrews 4. It says no creature is hidden from his sight. But are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So no one's hidden from God is what it's telling us. He sees our heart. He knows how to touch our hearts. And we're going to have to give an account to how we respond to his touch. What did we do when he touched us? Now remember the context. These are people that the writer was trying to reach because they wanted to give up. And he's saying, God sees your heart that you want to give up. And I'm here to tell you why you shouldn't. That's what's going on here. I can just stop right now. He knows what's in your thoughts. He knows what's in your mind. And He brings a message of hope. And He brings a message to this group of people saying, don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to rituals and ceremonies that don't have any power to save. Stay close to Jesus because He's better. He's superior. He's superior to the prophets, we saw that in chapter 1. He's superior to Moses and to Joshua. He's superior to angels. We saw that also in the first couple chapters. He's superior to the Sabbath, which was a big deal for the Jews. And now he's going to tell us that he's superior And he's actually God's Word. Not the written Word. But the written Word is a reflection of the living Word, Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. Become flesh and dwelt among us, as John's Gospel says. And now he's going to move to explain to us that Jesus is superior to the great high priest, which was started by Aaron. This is Moses' brother. He was the first high priest. But he's trying to say, don't give up. Don't go back. Hang on to Jesus. He's the bestest, you could say. Right? And then he jumps into that, and I'm almost done. Since then, we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our faith. That's what he's saying. What do you mean we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens? Yes, because, yes, he he was crucified. Yes, he did die. Yes, he was in that tomb for three days. But he rose from the dead. And after 40 days or so of hanging out with his disciples, training them a little bit more, he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right-hand side uh, side of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for us as our great high priest. As our mediator, our lawyer, if you would. Since we have Him sitting at the right hand of the Father, and His duty there, his, his thing right now, is to intercede on our behalf, we should be encouraged. That's what He's saying. No other high priest was called great, and no other high priest ever passed through the heavens, that is, returned to, this, to the rightful place at the right hand of the Father. No other high priest, as we read here, is the Son of God. So, there is no man, there is no person you can go to and talk to and say and share with him your, your, uh, your concerns and your worries and your pain and your suffering, except the one who went through it himself. That's why you should hold fast to your faith, that you confess, right? Right? So, what kind of a high priest do we have? Verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So we can say he's sympathetic with our what? Our weaknesses, our infirmities, our faults, our failures, our pain. We have a high priest who understands us. Why? Why can he say, oh, I know how you're feeling? Because he was tempted like we were. Yet without sin. Right? He had to be where we are. In order that he might understand us and sympathize with us. So we can go, not to some earthly priest... Well, we can go directly into heaven to the great high priest, and it says that he understands us. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows us. So how much more should we be encouraged in those difficult moments when we need help to approach him? Well, much, much more, because we know that not only does he hear us, because why do we pray? We like to, as Christians, we like, always like to say, I'll pray for you. But do you? I'll pray for you. It sounds spiritual. You look real cool to me when you say, "I'll pray for you, pastor. I sure hope you're doing it. You look like a Christian, you talk like one, but are you actually praying? Because you would pray if you knew he heard you. It's who's hearing you that matters. not that you're praying, but the praying matters because of who you're praying to. And the one thing that we know that is he hears us. But that's not enough. And are like oh yeah I man I feel you Tanya. I feel you. You're like Pastor Robert like can you like can you do anything about it? Well, I understand. Cool. But can you like make any changes or do you have any kind of like uh power or anything? Well, not really. I mean, I'm just a human. God bless you. No, this one, great high priest, he hears us, he understands us, he sympathizes with us, he has compassion, but greater than all that is that he has the power to do something about it. He's almighty. He's miraculous. He's wonderful. He's able to act and do something for us. That's why we shouldn't go backwards. That's why we should continue to move forward. Yeah. He understands us. So what does that make me do? Read on verse 16 and we'll wrap it up with this. So being the compassionate high priest who intercedes on our behalf because he sits at the right hand of the Father in glory having defeated death and is victorious because of that let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So let's approach him. We have access. Not just to anyone, to him, the, the great high priest who understands us and sympathizes and has the power to, to make a difference in our lives. So let's have it's an invitation. An invitation to do what? To to draw near to the throne of grace. What kind of throne is it? It's a throne of grace. It's a, a throne of mercy. All right. We can come boldly, as the old King James says, instead of confidence, to receive mercy and to find grace. When? 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 Look at that. In time of need. You need him. He's available. With grace and mercy, Amen. We don't come before Him boldly uh, and or proudly or arrogantly. We don't. We come consistently. We come without reservation. We come to Him uh, without fancy words. We come freely. Uh, we come persistently, also continually, whenever we have a need wow, this is why for me Jesus makes all the logical sense and if you study world religions, no one has this except the Christian faith. I lived in in Izmir, Turkey. I had many conversations with Muslims. They don't know they're going to heaven. They have to earn it. They're have no security. Their God is a God always of judgment. So how do you know all this? Because I, I lived there I, I, for the years. I have, I'm just saying, go and study them. This is the only one where God himself lowers himself to our level to take us up to his. And he's merciful, and understanding, gracious, loving. And he gave his life for those that he loved. His love is not a spoken or poetic love. It is a love in action. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why he suffered that cruel death. So that we wouldn't have to. You won't find it anywhere. At all. All other religions are worked based on works. On merit. And have no guarantee. It's a points system. And you never know if you have enough Points. That would be the worst kind of game to play. Can you imagine playing like in a video game, and you never know if you have enough points. They always get me in my golf game because I want to get a better golf club, so I have to earn points. And then I go and I play a guy with a better golf club than I have, and I'm like, "Gosh, I just..." Got, and that's the whole point. You points give you more, but not in God's kingdom, you can't earn enough points. To get right with God. You're only right with God. By going to his son Jesus Christ. And surrendering your life to him. Based on what he has done for you. So. If you have a need. You can go. Confidently. To Jesus. Who understands you. Who sympathizes with you. Who loves you has a purpose for you and can do something about it because he's almighty and he's powerful. Alright? Don't quit. Keep going forward. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You're so good to us. Your word is clear. There's no doubt. So now we've got to do something. My prayer is that Crosspoint Community Church and all those that hear this message would not just be hearers, but doers. And and being doers, our lives have purpose. Our lives become intentional. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have a plan for us. And you don't leave us hanging and wondering, but you give us direction And Father, there's no doubt that your words is the answer that we're looking for in a world full of so much false information, disinformation. But we can come to you, the one who said, I am the truth. And there is a freedom in truth. That is, Lord, that we don't have to live in darkness or in fear. But we can have a life, Lord, in which... Uh, we have this peace and this joy knowing lord that you're with us always until the end of the age and we're so grateful for that lord as a church help us to hear and apply what we learn help us to grow in a relationship with you daily knowing lord god you more and more never ever going to exhaust knowledge of you or who you are you're you're always going to teach us more about Yourself in our, ourselves. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.